Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 6, Family Business. Saving people, hunting things, the family business. That is the tagline of Supernatural. Is it? Yes, every every episode. It is said by Dean Winchester in the first episode, and then every single episode where it goes previously on Supernatural, Dean Winchester goes, we gotta pick up where dad left off. You know, saving, saving people, people, hunting, hunting things, things, the family, the family business. business. <laughs> Cue carry on my wayward son. <laughs> oh god we watched it for multiple seasons we did we watched it for eight seasons we watched it for longer than longer we should have we should have bailed at season five <laughs> yeah i think that's like what half almost eight seasons and well season five on... is is when it was supposed to end and oh. it ended up being 15 seasons long yes Jesus. season five was when the writer wrote the ending said that's it it's the end of the show and then the network went no, it's making us so much money. You can't end Supernatural now. Abs- we need Supernatural to keep going. Absolutely not, it's my golden duck. <laughs> pretty much. They're like, it's making us more money than anything. You can't take it away. And he said, okay, fine, but I'm not doing anything with it anymore because I wrote the ending. That is how my show ends. I'm walking away. And they went, fine, we'll get someone else to do it. So then it limped on for 10 more years and became just a hollow, shambling corpse of its former self. <laughs> And season eight was halfway decent. So we were like, that's it. We're this is a decent end for us. We'll accept it. We'll we gotta take leave it. on a high-ish leave note. On a high note. This is as good as we're this. gonna get. This is as good as we're gonna get. <laughs> like I know we randomly watched the musical episode with no other context around it because we wanted to see the musical episode, but that was it. Fair play. Anyway, thank you. Welcome to mini mini supernatural crash course with Lynn. I asked. <laughs> I wanted to know. I that was to- that was a truncated version. I could talk much longer, but but we have a show to record, so I will not. Speaking of the show to record, the original air date of it was November second, twenty fourteen. It was written by Kalinda Vasquez and Andrew Chambliss, and directed by Mario Van Peebles. Peebles, which is just the most fun name to say. <laughs> The title card is The Snow Queen's Ice Cream Truck. We begin in the enchanted forest of the past, where a noble woman is frantically pulling books from their shelves and dumping them into a trunk. Soldiers arrive to tell her the walls have fallen. The woman insists that the books are too valuable to leave to the monsters. The soldiers beg her to leave at once, but she commands them to take the trunks of the books down to the carriage, saying that she'll be right behind them. She calls for her daughter, revealed to be Belle who has grabbed her favorite book from her childhood titled Her Handsome Hero. That sounds like a very inappropriate book to have read as a young child. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a bodice ripper. Like, if it came out in 1990, Fabio would be on that cover. (laughs) Yeah. Just as Belle and her mother are about to flee, their castle begins to shake. They decide to go for the nuclear bomb method of ducking under a desk as their home is invaded by ogres. The ogres are smaller than I thought they would be. Yeah, I thought they were bigger. Didn't we see them in seasons one or two, like in a Rumpelstiltskin? We didn't see them in the Rumpelstiltskin episode, but I believe we did see one in the beginning of season two. Yes, with Emma, Emma, Emma shoots the gun. Mm-hmm. And then Mary Margaret takes it down with the arrow. Right, because they're blind. Yeah. This one didn't... Did he look blind? I can't remember. It was such a quick shot. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's... City. I don't think he's blind because... I guess spoiler alert for the next two sentences I'm about to say. How would he have known to pick up the table to find Belle and her mother if he was blind? Yeah, they were pretty quiet. They weren't saying anything and he like was just like, I know, pick up table, see what's under table. Yeah. But also... But how did he know to pick up the table? I would he know. just yeah. smashed his hand straight downward if it was yeah. just smell? Unless his smell is so good that he's like, I smell a sturdy oak table here. I I appreciate craftsmanship. Not going to mess that up. Got to move that out of the way. But to get to my food. He's really a fan of like the Enchanted Forest version of Bob mm, Vila. Big mahogany. Of this old. (laughs) That is mahogany. (laughs) The old cabin with Sir Bob Vila. (laughs) Oh. 
who knows i uh, i don't know but <laughs> also their size is like is not even consistent with it is seen yeah because, maybe this yeah. is a baby ogre well, because he's he's different sizes depending on the shot. Also, like yeah, yeah, the scale of his legs as he walks by when they're under the table is like, oh, he's maybe like seven feet tall. Yeah, but then, then he, he pulls the little... table up and he fills the entire room, and his head is at the ceiling, and it's like such little oh, consistency hey. with the CGI. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. <laughs> Belle's mother assures her that everything's gonna be all right, and then the ogre that really loves carpentry. <laughs> gently takes the table away so it doesn't get in the middle of him and his dinner (laughs) so i'm like i already i already spoiled that he throws a table off of them sorry he loves carpentry i like your version better (laughs) we abruptly cut to bell calling for her mother as she wakes from her nightmare the close-up of bell's eye as she wakes up was such a lost scene transition Mm mm-hmm her eyes are so pretty, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> in her dressing robe, Belle wanders her home to find a gathering of mourners. Her father comes to her side as Belle asks for her mother. Maurice realizes that Belle has no memory of the attack. That is, until she spies the coffin at the other end of the room. I do have to say this. She's got a great scream. She's only been in, like, one or two horror movies, and I feel like that's kind of a shame because she's got a very good scream queen. Scream. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I, I only know for one off the top of my head that she's been in. She might have been in more. But I feel like that's really a missed missed opportunity. What horror yeah. movie is she in? She is in the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. There was a remake? Ooh. Yes. Huh. They changed a lot. I didn't think that movie was for old the enough worst. to have a remake. Well, the original was in the 70s. Oh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. The original The Hills Have Eyes was in the 70s. And they remade it in the 2000s. Right. And she was in the 2000s remake. Oh, okay. Hello and welcome to Lynn's Horror Corner. I don't know if we need to make that a thing. (laughs) I feel like it's come up enough that it could It has. I talk about horror a lot. I feel like I could just have Lynn's Horror Corner at this point. Oh, she is in a TV movie version of Carrie. Oh, I saw that version. That's why I watched that version. Yeah, it was really crappy, but I watched it because well, of her. yeah, that's right. She plays Chris Har- Harganson. Oh, she's Chris. She's Chris, yeah. Okay. 2002. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think she's also in a Christmas horror movie. She Ooh. is in a movie called Santa's Sleigh. Oh, that's oh, amazing. I love, a, I love a, a Christmas horror film. I, I love a gimmick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rebecca Gayhart is also in it. So is Fran Drescher and Chris Catan. <gasps> oh, wait, I know about this one. Sounds amazing. I haven't seen it, but one of my favorite horror bloggers talked about it. He did a thing about just like holiday themed horror movies. Right. And he covered it. Anyway, back on track, other than to say, um, stop remaking Carrie. You're not going to top the Brian De Palma one. Right. <laughs> just stop. It's been done a couple times. Stop. Now moving on. <laughs> In present-day Storybrooke, Mr. Gold is placing an object inside of his vault, where we glimpse the dagger hidden in the shadows. He is quick to lock up the vault as Belle calls for him. He claims that he had a few things to take care of before they open the shop, but Belle says it'll have to wait as Emma urgently needs their presence. At the sheriff's station, the mysterious video with Ingrid as Emma's foster mother is played for the benefit of the Golds, Henry, Hook, Regina, Elsa, Mary Margaret, and David. I loved the little moment of Snow just being in awe of getting to see a teenage Emma. It was very sweet and it it hurt my heart a little because Snow was just so happy to get a glimpse of her child being a child. I thought it was a really nice moment. Yeah, I did too. None of them have any recollection of her except for Mr. Gold, but of course he is playing some psychotic game of his own. And there have been no clues left in all of the places they have searched thus far. Henry cleverly mentions the ice cream truck that the adults have overlooked. And David proposes splitting up, with a group covering the town and a group covering the North Woods. Gold insists he works better alone, and David does not have the time or patience to argue, so he asks Belle how good she is at tracking. Belle believes she'll be more helpful at the library, and Elsa offers to join her. Back in the past, Maurice checks on Belle, who is burning the midnight oil pouring over a mountain of books. Her father comments that she ought to be asleep, but Belle is too distressed at her missing memories. 
Her father is dismissive of her research, but Belle has already discovered creatures which can restore memories. Her father is visibly upset by this turn of events and forbids her to go as magic always comes with a price. Everyone take a shot. And he refuses to allow Belle to pay whatever that price might be. Belle tries to argue, but an angered Maurice only doubles down, refusing to allow Belle to leave her chambers until the doctors declare her fit. After he storms out, Belle calmly takes out a map of Arendelle, the place where her questions will be answered. Man, Maurice sucks. Yes. Yes, he does. (laughs) We flash forward to the present, where Belle is staring at the same map of Arendelle, while Elsa browses through books across the room. When Elsa begins to speak, Belle quickly folds up the map and hides it. Elsa sadly comments that there is nothing on Arendelle, which Belle claims to know very little of, as well as Anna. Belle, sweetie, you are the worst liar, and this is the most wooden delivery. Yeah, I feel like anyone really would have been able to tell she was lying here. It wasn't good. It was not good. It was just like, no, I haven't never met your sister. I don't even know those syllables. I know you'd think that the director, like Mario, would have just been like, okay, we don't want to, you know, should be a surprise, but I guess not. Whatever. I mean, I think it's, I think it is intentional. I think it's that because Belle, you know, Belle does is have a good goodness. person. And She's a good person like and does not. And it's, like it's supposed to be like indicative of her conscience getting to her that yeah. she's like being like, oh, I don't know your sister. Why would you even think that? Yeah, like exactly. knowledge is something very important to her. So. And so is not being lied to. And, and so is not being lied to. Mm. Um, and so she doesn't like doing that for other people. I think it's very intentional that mm. she, they made it clear she's uncomfortable with lying and right. bad at lying. Back in Arendelle of the past, Elsa and Anna are reunited. Each sister apologizes for their errors, and they make up quickly. Also, Elsa is in her Frozen 1 coronation outfit, which canonically shouldn't exist since she, like, obliterated it during the (laughs) Let It Go number. But who cares about continuity? Not the writers of Once Upon a Time! Anyway. Anyway. Elsa. (laughs) Elsa. Remember Elsa? I remember Elsa. This episode barely remembers Elsa. (laughs) No fucking kidding. No fucking kidding. Oi. It's a song about Elsa, isn't it? Yes, I mean, thought it was. (laughs) Elsa inquires after any knowledge that Anna gained about their parents' journey to the Enchanted Forest. Anna claims she learned nothing, only she begins to suspiciously ramble on until she notices that the negative news she brought did not have an adverse effect. Elsa's powers have stabilized. Elsa reveals this is thanks to their long-lost aunt, Ingrid, who arrives to introduce herself to her other niece. Ingrid claims that their mother likely never told the girls of her presence because she had been trapped in a magical urn by people who did not understand her. She then gives Anna a demonstration of her power, the same power which Elsa had been gifted. Later, Anna is with Kristoff and Sven in the stables, confessing her suspicions about Ingrid. Anna claims to be an excellent judge of character, which Kristoff rebuffs with a reminder that Anna agreed to marry Hans only ten minutes after meeting him. Undeterred, Anna continues that there are no records of Ingrid's existence, no family portraits of her, and nothing to reinforce her claim to their family. Furthermore, Anna intends to visit her future-in-laws and talk to Grand Poppy about Ingrid and asks Kristoff to continue to cover for her and watch over Elsa. Kristoff agrees because he loves his fiancée and drinks his respect women juice. Anna then confesses she has not found the appropriate time to tell Elsa the truth about their parents' visit to the Enchanted Forest, so he will have to keep up pretense. Again, Kristoff agrees, and the couple kiss before Anna departs. As the camera pans away, we see that Ingrid has been eavesdropping. 90% of Ingrid this episode is literally just her listening to people around corners. It's very core of her. It is. Speaking of which, in the storybook Forest of the Present, Ingrid spies the search party from the other side of her not-so-hidden <laughs> ice cream truck. I love that there are branches laid on it like like an artistically decorated plate of lettuce. Like, my sister in Christ, you ain't fooling anyone. <laughs> Emma radios David to call off the search party as the truck was found near the Merry Men's campsite. Robin Hood tries to talk to Regina, but she is busy preparing to storm an ice cream truck and blows him off. Emma advises her to be softer, but Regina sasses back, telling Emma to mind her own business. I laughed real hard when Regina called Hook Captain Guyliner. 
I also, I really liked Emma's tired, we don't make eyes at each other, followed immediately by Killian, like, (laughs) walking by, making a smitten face at her. I thought the moment was very cute. Emma, Hook, and Regina enter the ice cream truck, only to find it picked clean, save for a locked freezer. Hook easily dismantles it, and inside they find a folder of clippings and paperwork. Hook was so proud of being able to break the lock on the freezer. He's like, I got it. Oh, he was chuffed. <laughs> Look at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so useful. Look at me. Emma, are you so proud of me? You're Emma, handsome guy. Scratch Emma. me behind the ears and tell me I'm a good boy. <laughs> Rub my belly. <laughs> Among the newspaper clippings is an article about a seven-year-old boy discovering a baby on the side of the road. The day August and Emma came to the land without magic. Meanwhile, at the library, Belle notices a flurry of snow around Elsa, who is frustrated at coming up against more dead ends. Belle tries to perk her up, reminding Elsa that Anna is alive and not to give up hope. Elsa wonders aloud if the Snow Queen was telling the truth and that Anna was the one who trapped her inside the urn. Belle claims that it is not true and nearly gives herself away as the guilt of her secret gnaws away her conscience. She excuses herself for an errand, leaving Elsa with an insistence that they will find Anna. And boy, am I glad that we did a full 180 back to weepy damsel Elsa after all the progress she made. Cool. 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 (laughs) Back in the past, at Oaken's Trading Post, Belle is asking for directions to the rock trolls when Anna arrives and begins to shop. Oaken cannot help Belle as he does not know where the rock trolls live. Despondent, Belle turns to go when Anna offers to help guide her to the rock trolls as she is heading there herself. Belle episodes are always her adventuring with a different heroine, like Mulan, Ruby, Ariel, and now Anna, and I think that's cute. I do wish we had seen her bond more with Anna, though. They really don't give these two enough time together in this episode. At least I don't think so. Every Belle episode is basically, look at these hot, capable, kind women you could be with, and instead you want the asshole lizard girl with the hell. Oh, wouldn't they be just like the cutest thruple, like Kristoff, Anna, and Belle? Ugh. They'd be spunky. They'd be, They'd be very, very spunky. spunky. And so supportive. Very. They'd very all be very supportive. supportive. In the present, Regina is standing off to the side when Robin Hood saunters over and claims she is avoiding him, you know, because she is. Hmm. He believes it is because he revealed to still be in love with her after begging her to save his wife, but a frustrated Regina corrects him, confessing that she has been unable to find a cure for Marion's curse. She tells him to forget about her and figure out a way to fall in love with his wife again. This is so fucking stupid. I can't even. I know we mentioned it before, but there is a whole ass child who has yet to try true love's kiss. And it's not like love is a switch. Like you can't just turn it on and off. It's like, quick, go fall in love with your dead wife again. And it's like this whole fucking plot is dumb and it is not going to be fulfilling in any fucking way because I know things. Oh no, you know what's to come, don't you? I thought you didn't know yet, but you've learned things, haven't you? We tried not to spoil you. It wasn't you. It was when I was writing a recap, I think last episode's recap, and some asshole put it in their summary. No, like that's put a it in parentheses. Well, yeah, that's and a I was spoiler. Like it, it was a massive yet. spoiler. And I was like, oh, oh, fuck you. <laughs> Like, oh, dude. I mean, I know it's like 10 years old or whatever, but still, it's just like, yeah. yeah. But plenty of people discover media that they haven't watched this that old and watch it for the first time. And it's not like, I don't know, it's not like Citizen Kane or something. Right. And it, and it wasn't even like on Tumblr. Like, usually if it's like on Tumblr and I'm not blocking it, fuck it. It's my own fault. Right. And I'm like, all right. Well, now I hate this plot line even fucking more. So. Yes, it's not good. It's, it's not, not good. good. It's not good. Apparently, Marion and Little John were in a scene filmed for this episode, but it never made it into the final cut. And I have no idea what that scene was because the wiki had no other explanation for me. And it wasn't like a cut scene you could watch. So who knows? That's helpful. Yeah. Maybe Little John tried to wake up Marion. Maybe Maybe Little John didn't see her and he tripped over her. (laughs) That would have been fun. Accidentally knocked her off the couch in the process. (laughs) Wacky wakened at Bernie's type hygiene and Sue. (laughs) I mean, that's fun. It's no dialogue. It's just yakety sax playing. (laughs) Deep in the woods, Mr. Gold calls out for Ingrid to join him. 
They have a villain off where the Snow Queen has more leverage than Gold does on her, and she isn't going to hand over whatever the hell he wants. Which we don't know, because the writers are still being dumb and coy with these two snarking each other. Ingrid just tells him to stay out of her way. Meanwhile, Belle is frantically searching through the pawn shop, grabbing particular items and tossing them into a pile, the last of which is a pickaxe. Aloud, Belle tells Anna not to worry, because she will find her. In the past, Anna makes conversation, revealing she overheard that Belle has lost her mom. They trauma bond over dead moms, and Belle tells Anna her desire for her memories to be restored. Anna warns Belle that the memories will reveal the truth, not the truth that Belle wishes. Still, Anna promises to help in any way. They arrive at the base of a cliff which they are meant to climb, but Anna trips and face plants. Belle helps her with the mystical hat trap purse thing which contains the sorcerer's hat. Anna gives Belle the nuts and bolts of the story. She took the powerful item off an evil sorcerer with whom Anna prays Belle will never cross paths, which, bad news girl, because she marries that schmuck. Dear reader, she married him. Dear reader, we regret to inform you. We jump to the present day, where Mr. Gold enters the pawn shop, noticing Belle bundled up in a winter coat, a pickaxe in hand. She announces she is going to the North Woods to confront the Snow Queen and to fix a mistake she made a long time ago. Rumpel warns Belle that the Snow Queen defeated Regina and Emma, and he cannot allow Belle to face her alone. Belle hopes that her husband will accompany her, but he flat out refuses to get involved. You know, like a dick. Reluctantly, Belle takes out the dagger, or what she believes to be the Dark One dagger, and holds it aloft, commanding her husband to take her to the Snow Queen. You know what? Fuck it. Good for Belle. Yeah, no, really. Especially since he has some god-awful bullshit to say about, I gave it to you because I knew I could trust you. Like, this ass hasn't been gaslighting her the whole time. I hope he chokes on the fake costume shop dagger. I hate him. (laughs) I just miss Piggy and Muppet's Christmas Carol. And I hope he chokes. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Emma is going through the file Ingrid left behind in the truck. She discovers that Ingrid was her foster mother for six months, the longest Emma was ever placed in a home. Okay. Does that or does that not conflict with established canon? Am I hallucinating? But wasn't she in a single home until she was like a toddler? Like, either way, six months being the longest home she has ever had is. So incredibly rare. Like, by her age at 13 or 14, most kids will stay with their foster family until they can be legally emancipated or age out of the system. Like, I doubt any of our smart, incredible listeners would ever get their information about the foster care system from a show like this, but I still hate it that it perpetuates some pretty archaic tropes, biases, and statistics. We haven't seen her as a toddler in the first home she was, which was established as being terrible. She was still like, she was a baby baby when August left her behind. Um, I thought that, though, was like a group home, not a foster home. That it, There's a difference. Like I think the yeah, first think place we home. see her is a group home. Yeah. Just because yeah. I don't think, and I mean, I am not an authority on the foster system at all, but I think there were more children there than you are legally allowed to foster exactly. as a single yeah, person. Yeah, there was a exactly. lot of kids. Yeah, there there was is... just tons of kids and there was like, bunks so i think it had to be some sort of a group yeah home. it was like a group home like she wasn't yet fostered out yeah and i think the scene where she watches another girl be adopted was also a group home i think she spent mm. most of her life in the group home yeah. yeah so i think the fosters she did stay with were not long term but maybe she was in the group home for a very long time that makes sense and then she ditched out at some point i think she, she, ran had, away. she said she did she yeah, said she, she ran, said away, she ran away. away that's episode. right yeah, yeah. Okay, so they just put her back in the system, and then she was in the foster. Okay, yeah. I got you. But yeah, six months. Very rare. Just saying. As Emma digs further, she discovers that Ingrid kept many of Emma's essays, artwork, and cards, all tokens of a person who cared deeply for her. Among the items is a scroll with the language we saw inscribed on the urn. So I learned that there's also a cut scene in this episode where in turn for Emma opening up about her childhood with Killian... Killian also opens up about his childhood to Emma as well and about his 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 brother and his father. And I and I do wish they would have left that in this episode. 
there's been very little between these two since they got them together. And I think they could have benefited by having Killian confide in Emma in return. Luckily, as a viewer, we do get that story that was cut in the scene. We get in a full flashback later in the show with a beautiful man who we love very much playing Killian's father. I mean, we don't love Killian's father, but the actor but we do love Killian's that actor. father. We love him. We love Adam Crosdell. Elsewhere, Mr. Gold has taken Bell to the mouth of the cave where Ingrid is hiding out. Bell orders him to stay outside and keep a lookout while she goes in search of the magic hat she believes Snow Queen possesses, one that can strip away magic. Rumpelstiltskin does not tell his wife he has the hat, because a bastard can't ever pass up a chance to be shady and dishonest. <laughs> and instead, he asks why Belle is going to great lengths for a woman she has never met. Belle says a real hero always helps strangers. Back in the past, the two women arrive at the Rock Trolls. Grand Pobby is eager to discuss the wedding with Anna, but Anna interrupts him to introduce Belle. The Rock Troll King knows of her quest already and gives her an enchanted rock to brew in a tea which will restore her memories. But it must be done in the place where she lost her memories to begin with. Belle thanks Anna and wishes to repay her, but Anna is merely happy to have a friend. She then talks privately with Grand Pobby about Ingrid. He reveals that the former queen has not one but two sisters. Ingrid the oldest, Helga the middle, and Gerda, in this version anyway, Anna and Elsa's mother, the youngest. One day, when they were young, Ingrid and Helga vanished. The family wanted to forget and had Grand Pobby literally erase everyone's memories. They also scrubbed Helga and Ingrid's presence from every official record. Wow, this family is just full of healthy choices. <laughs> Poor Anna and Elsa trying to break the cycle of dumbassery. <laughs> Why Ingrid did not mention Helga or disclose what happened, Grand Pobby does not know. Worried that her aunt is up to something, Anna calls for Belle as they hurriedly return to the castle. Poor Belle having to mountain climb in heeled boots. I don't know why they did this to her. The poor thing's going to twist her ankle. Why heal? I don't know. Just let the poor girl be short. Yeah. In the present, Belle explores the ice cavern Ingrid has made her home when a disembodied voice begins to call out Belle's name. Turning toward a mirror, Belle's own reflection greets her and proceeds to taunt her cruelly, bringing all of her insecurities to light. That she's the reason Anna's missing, the reason her mother died, and that the dagger her husband gave her is fake. I've got to give a shout out to Emily in this scene because I think she's she's acting her pants off here. I think she does a, a really amazing job in this scene. And I actually really like the lighting that they used here. It's just this very harsh white light source coming from the mirror itself. And for being in a setting that's partially practical, but partially and mainly CG, I think this this one setup looks actually a lot better than most of Once Upon a Time CG sets. And I, I really felt for Belle here, and I just want so much better for her uh, than she she gets. And I think Belle confronting her mirror self is a really nice reference to the fairy tale of the Snow Queen. Mr. Gold appears and intercedes, transporting them back to the pawn shop where Belle breaks down and confesses the secret she has been hiding before thanking her lucky stars that at least her husband would never lie to her. Barf! Oh... This whole scene and subplot is so god-awful and toxic, and I am so sick of this guy. Belle deserves so much better than this, and I am so mad. In the enchanted forest of the past, a storm approaches, endangering the lives of Anna and Belle. Anna believes the storm is a targeted attack from Ingrid to prevent them from returning to Elsa with the information on Ingrid. The storm overtakes the women, and Belle is torn between retrieving her memory stone from the cliff's edge or saving Anna, who is holding off for dear life. Dude, Poppy can make you a new rock, Belle, but a new Anna cannot be made if she is smashed to pieces. If she is smashed to pieces. Smashed to peaches? Peaches for you, peaches for me. Sorry. Okay, I'm done. We're not going for the Bowser version. <laughs> Peaches, 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 That my peaches. wife has decided is my song, I guess. Yes. <laughs> do you serenade your wife with the Peaches song? Yes, I do. She Aww. does. And also for a while there, whenever she was like posting Instagram videos of me that didn't have talking, she would just put Peaches as the music <laughs> on it. <laughs> Anyways, Belle 
a new Anna cannot cannot be made if she is smashed to pieces. Yeah, like damn bitch priorities. <laughs> like that is human life. Yeah. Belle goes for the stone first, because Jesus Christ. <laughs> but the stone rolls off the edge and shatters, so it didn't even matter. Anna loses her grip, and Belle sees her unconscious body on the ground below. Ingrid herself appears, stealing the box containing the sorcerer's hat. Ingrid addresses Belle, telling her to stay out of their quote-unquote family business. She then disappears, bringing Anna with her. Belle, you done hecked up, dude. <laughs> done hecked up. You done hecked up. A lot of hecking up. This is an episode about hecking up. A lot of hecking up in this episode. Mm-hmm. Ah. Belle gets home and finds her father anxiously awaiting her return. Belle says she should never have gone, as she did not find the knowledge she was looking for. To absolutely no one's surprise, Maurice reveals that he is behind Belle's lost memories. <sighs> one has to wonder if the writers were deliberately trying to draw a parallel to Belle's father and the man she chose, or if that's just, you know, a coincidence. I think it's on purpose, because the show actually did it once before in season two, episode four, The Crocodile. They made the parallel between Gold and Maurice at that time as oh, well. Oh yeah, is that the one where he like puts his daughter in a fucking mineshaft yes. cart and yep. sends yes, her sailing is. Indiana Jones style? Yeah, because yep, he's like, I'd rather you had no memories at all than marry that guy. Yep. Yeah, yeah he's always fucking with her memories. Oh my god. I mean, all the men in her life are. The fuck? He did not want to add to her grief as her mother stood in the path between the ogre and Belle. Soldiers had arrived just in time to pull Belle away, but it was too late for her mother. Also, to continue the bad news, the ogres are advancing, and Maurice naively thinks human soldiers will suddenly get the upper hand for some reason. Belle knows better and tells her father that it's time to stop the war once and for all. Belle decides it's time to ask a powerful wizard for help, but before she can say his name, Maurice stops her. He does not want to invoke this wizard, but Belle says that sometimes a hero has to sacrifice everything to save the people they love. She wants to be a hero like her mother. If that means summoning Rumpelstiltskin, so be it. In the present, Mr. Gold returns to the cave to talk to Ingrid, or more accurately, threatens her since Ingrid's mirror has taunted Belle and he is not having it. She teases him about his sentimentality before Gold reveals the sorcerer's hat, cautioning Ingrid to watch herself. In the past, Ingrid wakes Anna in a dungeon cell. When Anna attempts to confront her about Helga, Ingrid refuses to give any details. She believes that Anna was going to use the hat to trap Elsa, just as she had been imprisoned in the urn. Anna denies this, giving her aunt the nuts and bolts of why she had the magical item. But Ingrid is determined to eliminate Anna out of the picture and replace her. In present-day Storybrooke, Elsa has found an Arendelle heraldry book with records of lineage. She discovers the existence of her two aunts, and Helga looks the spitting image of Emma. Elsa then spies the scrolls written in runic and discovers it's a prophecy describing the powerful savior named Emma who will become Ingrid's sister. Elsa theorizes that Ingrid is looking to replace her sisters. Belle interrupts and confesses to Elsa about her past with Anna, but also warns them about the Snow Queen's evil mirror, which is a part of a spell called Shattered Sight. Its purpose is to make everyone in Storybrooke turn on one another. Honestly, you don't really need a spell for that. Just cut the power and watch them all descend into chaos. I mean, that did happen before, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ingrid's ultimate goal is for everyone in Storybrooke to destroy each other until only it's just herself, Emma, and Elsa left. That's that's it. That's the episode. End credits. <laughs> I liked and disliked this episode. First of all, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Shattered Sight a D&D &D spell? Like, there, there is a... There's a shattered is a spell. There's shatter. There's shatter. Okay. Yeah, I've I've, I've used shatter a lot. Yeah, because you played a bard, and that's a bard spell. Yeah, it's a big bard spell. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, that's yeah. right. That that was my last character. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's the combination of shatter and then true and sight. True sight, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it does sound like a D and D spell. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this episode was well acted, but otherwise, meh. Anyway, Ingrid's plan seems very convoluted to just get her niece and Emma. Like, why not just kidnap them or just put a spell on them? I don't know. I think it's just because the writers wanted to incorporate the shattered mirror and its corruptions in people's hearts 
from the actual Snow Queen fairy tale. Ah. And then basically worked backwards from that goal as to why Ingrid would do that. Convoluted plan, yes, but I appreciate them pulling in more from the Snow Queen fairy tale than Frozen itself did. Because I think it's it's very interesting. Because Frozen is is not the Snow Queen. I know it's where it started, but it's not what it became. And I like the story of Frozen. I'm a big fan of the story of Frozen. But as a Han Christian Anderson fan, I also am fangirling over the Snow Queen details that they've put into this season. That said, this is probably my least favorite episode of this season so far. I didn't hate it. I just don't think it was as strong as some of the others. And mostly I'm just so tired of seeing Rumpelstiltskin gaslight Belle. It makes me very uncomfortable. I think after the reveal of the previous episode, the reveal of Ingrid being her previous foster mother, I wanted to spend more time with Emma in this episode. And she was relegated to being a B-plot or honestly the C-plot of this episode. That said, there were a few scenes I did like quite a bit. I thought the scene with Belle confronting herself in the mirror was really well done by Emily and probably was my favorite acting moment of her in the show, at least so far. I also thought Ingrid once again brought it as a villain, especially in that jail scene with Anna. I thought both actresses did quite well in that jail scene. It felt properly threatening felt for Anna. I thought that was well done. And I also liked the couple scenes we got with the heroic investigation squad. It was fun to see them them squabbling and little bonding moments. I just, I always like it when we get those ensemble scenes. Other than that, this episode had a lot less Dutch angles. I don't think it actually had any uh, than the previous Mario Van Peebles directed episode. So I was a little sad about that because there was a lot of his style in It's Not Easy Being Green last season. And I did not see as much as that here. It felt like he was a little more reined in by like the style of Once Upon a Time in this episode. And I thought that was a shame because I liked the camp that he had brought to It's Not Easy Being Green. Okay, so full disclosure. I dozed off like three times during this episode and had to read the synopsis only to find out I really didn't miss much. It's a very gaslighty episode and it just makes me feel bad for Belle that just at no point in her life has there not been some ass convinced he knows what's best for her and is willing to control her to get it. Honestly, there's some really gross misogyny in this episode that just makes me be like, really, Kalinda? Really? I expected better from you. Between the treatment of Belle and reverting Elsa back to square one, falling all over herself and weeping when she can't immediately complete a task, I was pretty over this episode, honestly. Yeah, I feel like especially this episode had no idea what to do with Elsa. Yeah. Which is like, it's the Frozen arc. You kind of need to know what to do with Elsa. You need to know what to do with Elsa. If you're going to talk about Frozen, she's kind of important. How do you solve a problem like Elsa? It's just the writer's room at Once Upon a Time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, do you guys want to talk about costumes? Yes, please. Yeah. Go for it. Belle's blue dress is lovely, but the white lace blouse that goes under it, stunning. Just like so gorgeous. And I really, really want it. Yeah, Belle's flashback costumes were fantastic in this episode. I loved the blue dress in the library scene with her mother, her blue and white nightgown, and the new twist on her like classic blue peasant dress, the one that Chell just talked about. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I feel like Eduardo knocked himself out of the park with these three looks. It's all about those first three blue dresses for me. Poor Belle, though, both in the past and in present day, her adventure boots had heels. She didn't need them. (laughs) She can be short, guys. It's okay. There's um, some real weird choices for her fashion-wise in this episode, honestly. Like, between her adventure dress that made me go, boy, I sure am glad the Enchanted Forest had readily available prominent separating zippers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then her, I guess, psyching up to try and control her husband by putting on her little scarf that's covered in knives. (laughs) I'm just not sure what they were doing. 
So the scarf in question is the classic dagger scarf from Rag and Bone. It's just the fact that she's like, got to use the dagger on my husband. Got to put on my knife scarf if I'm going to do it. <laughs> I was like, fair, okay. Fair it's, it, felt, it felt a little on the nose. Right. <laughs> it's my knife scarf for doing knife things. <laughs> knife <Yeah>. things. <laughs> I support her. I do love Ingrid's Snow Queen outfit you see in the flashbacks. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was super pretty. It was definitely rivaling some of those Regina and Cora gowns, but mm-hmm. in all white. It was beautiful. Yeah, except unlike those, I'd actually wear this one. <laughs> all right, it's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In season four, episode six, we have Darcy Johnson as Oaken. Mostly a bit player with small rows on shows like Psych, a series of unfortunate events, Family Law, Schmigadoon, and Supernatural. <laughs> And then we have Frances O'Connor as Colette, who is Belle's mother. We don't really hear her name, I don't think, being mentioned, or we maybe hear it mentioned once, but that is her name, Colette. So British-Australian actress Frances O'Connor is actually pretty big time. Like, I have definitely heard of her, and I have seen her in many of other things. You may know her from her roles in film and TV titles, such as Blue Healers. Uh, that's a shout out to all our Aussie listeners. Blue Healers, woo! Mansfield Park, AI, Artificial Intelligence, The Importance of Being Earnest, Mr. Selfridge, The Missing, and Clever Man. Confession, I always mix her up with Frances Conroy just because of the name. Like they oh, look too. They look and sound nothing alike. And they're not even like they're they're like 14 years apart. They just have similar names. And so anytime I read Frances O'Connor, I'm like, ah, oh, Frances O'Connor, you know, from how I met your mother in six feet under. No, no. <laughs> No, I, I had the same thing. This episode started up and I saw Frances O'Connor in the credits and I was like, oh, she's in this? Fully thinking it was Frances Conroy and then was just like, really thought Frances Conroy was coming to this party and now I'm sad. All right. It's time to take a trip down once upon a timeline. So the flashbacks in this episode take place shortly after those seen in season four, episode four, The Apprentice. And the ones we have seen so far that most closely follow the ones seen in this episode are those in season one, episode 12, Skin Deep, where Belle first volunteers to work with Rumpelstiltskin in return for his help to save her home. As in this episode at the end, we see her first bring up the idea to her father at the end of the episode. And that's it for me. All right. So it's time for some rants and raves. I had my very belated Barbie birthday bash. Everyone turned out in their cutest or most fly Barbie Ken swag, and it was really awesome. I even got to see my fellow narrators, which was that's so us. nice. That's us. And we even got to have like special dessert time with our friend Ariana afterwards, which was extra nice. I don't, I'm not someone who's like easily overwhelmed, but like being hostess of a party, especially your own, is so fucking stressful. And I put myself through a lot of stress in my younger years, trying to like, please all my friends and stuff and make sure everyone else was having like a really good time that it was really hard for me to have a good time. So this was like one of the easiest, smoothest things because it was basically show up at this mall. I'm going to (laughs) eat at the food court. You are welcome to eat with me. And then we are going to see Barbie. Let me know if you would like to go see Barbie because I will include you in the ticket purchasing. And everyone, for the most part, was very responsible about their RSVPs. I also saw Beetlejuice, the musical, and I was surprised by some of the changes, uh, mostly in the uh, certain female characters range. That's all I'll say, um, because I don't want to spoil anyone who hasn't seen it yet. I'm not saying these uh, changes were bad. I'm just saying I was surprised. I thought it was still a good time. It was very soul-fulfilling to see my friend Abe Goldfarb on stage. He plays Otho. He's also the understudy for all of the main male roles. So like Charles, Adam, and Beetlejuice himself. He and I met at the Slipper Room in Manhattan in 2016, where he was the MC for this burlesque show. And we started following each other on Twitter. <laughs> Gore went out for Twitter. And he has been with the show since previews, which I think happened in, oh my God, 2017 or 2018. So this is all super awesome for him. And I'm just really happy for his career. It was just really nice to see him living his dream. Yay, friendship. That's awesome. So last week was a hard week for me. I I won't go into it, but there's a a major thing that happened. But I felt very supportive by my my friends and my family. So that, that part has been nice. 
but let's recommend some media. That's what I will do. Um, Yay. <laughs> so Lynn and me saw the new Haunted Mansion movie, and it was a pleasant surprise. Lynn took me to cheer me up. It was it was fun. It had a lot of heart and a lot of care put into it when it came to like the ride references. And I had a good time. It was hmm. a very silly, but also very heartfelt exploration of grief. And that was so surprising, both having fun and have these like very frank discussions of grief. And I thought it was a great way to approach, you know, a, a, a movie about a haunted mansion. And I really enjoyed it. It's not perfect, but it was fun. It had heart. The cast did great. So I, I liked it. Other than that, a few weeks ago, Lynn and Me Marathon, the new Gundam anime, came out um, last year. It came out last year. The Witch from Mercury. Hmm. And it was so good. It's the first Gundam series with both a female lead and a queer lead. And not only does it have all the mech battles and, you know, super intense wars, hell messages that are the Gundam staples... It's also clearly a loving tribute to the anime Revolutionary Girl Utena. What? Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I loved it. And Lynn and me are planning costumes from it because we need to. So definitely anyone who's both a fan of, of mech series and uh, classic shoujo, classic gay shoujo like Revolutionary Girl Utena, I would definitely recommend it. Okay, it's my turn. Like Elisa said, last week was not great, but before everything went tits up, I did get to go to a horror convention that's held in SoCal every summer called Midsummer Scream, and I got to do a cosplay I've wanted to do since I was a teenager, and everyone was nice, and the vendor's hall was awesome, and for a brief moment, I was happy before everything was, you know, good and thoroughly terrible all of a sudden, <laughs> so thank you, Midsummer Scream. I love you for letting me have one second of happiness. <laughs> I, even I had fun. I had fun at the horror convention. And I'm not a horror person. So, yay. But my wife was having so much fun that, like, that alone just made me have so much fun to see her so happy. Yeah, if we wouldn't get copyright claimed, I'd say insert I had the time of my life here. <laughs> it was uh, a very I... good day. And then and then there were not good days anymore. <laughs> where Where was that at? It was in Long Beach. There was one exhibit that was spooky animatronics but they were like D, &D monsters oh which was so much fun there was a gelatinous cube and there was a mimic and there was a beholder and it made me very happy i was like oh i love these guys and you like rolled you rolled dice to like activate them there was a giant dice that you like spun on a platform and that's what triggered the animatronics to start moving around and talking and shit that's so cool it was very cool that was my second favorite. My favorite part was my wife being so happy. My second favorite part was the D&D &D monsters. Oh, I was I was having the fucking best day of my life. <laughs> I was so happy. Not that many people knew what I was dressed up as, but the people that did were like very cute and excited about it. Who were you dressed up as? I was Heather Mason from Silent Hill 3. Silent Hill 3 is one of my favorite horror games ever. It's a pro-feminism, pro-choice game in an era where that was unheard of and honestly still is unheard of. Is that the one with Pyramid Head? No, Silent Hill 2 is with Pyramid Head. Okay. And that is actually the only installment of the actual canonical Silent Hill games in which he appears. Oh. He became a fan favorite, so when Team Silent no longer was making the Silent Hill games with the last canonical one being Silent Hill 4 of the Room, he later appears in other games, and it does not make sense for him to be there, because part of the thing about Silent Hill is Silent Hill is different for each person that enters it. Oh. And Silent Hill 2, Pyramid Head, is the villain because he is the personification of the lead character's feeling of emasculation. Mm. Because he's this like very threatening hyper male with an obviously phallic weapon. Right, right. So he's there to counteract the main character who feels emasculated by the circumstances of his life. But he only appears in two because he's only in his Silent Hill. So then they made the movies and they were like, let's just throw Pyramid Head in them because everyone fucking loves Pyramid Head. It's like, okay, you're breaking the lore because he wouldn't be in Silent Hill 1, right. but whatever, let's do this, I guess. Anyway, again, welcome to the Horror Corner with Lynn. I like Horror <laughs> Corner with Lynn. I always learn something. <laughs> I, I do my best. So, yes, 
Pyramid Head, contrary to popular belief, is only in one canonical Silent Hill game. There were other Silent Hill games that were made after Silent Hill 4 that were not made by the original team Silent, and they slapped Pyramid Head and multiple of those just because they were like, it'll get people to buy the games. But that stripped it of all symbolism that he had, and there was no real reason for him to be in those games other than to get people to buy them. That's shitty. It's kind of like Leprechaun. Yeah, it's 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 sad. <laughs> uh, you might uh, notice we are going to no longer be updating the Once Upon a Rewatch Twitter because Twitter's not really Twitter anymore. We've got a lot more of you talking to us on Tumblr and Instagram. And so that's where we're going to stay. We're going to not waste our time on Twitter or on X anymore. So hope that's okay. And I hope to see more of you on Instagram and Tumblr. Also, we know there's been a lot of talk lately about both the writer's strike and the actor's strike and what to do with fan works based on properties coming from Struck Studios. And we've done a lot of research and because our show is a review of the show, you know, we have ads, but the ad money isn't coming from ABC or Disney themselves. We feel that we can continue to release uh, Once Upon a Rewatch without it being disrespectful for the actors and the writers who are striking to get their fair pay. People deserve fair wage just across the board. People deserve a fair wage. So all the love and support uh, towards, towards those striking. So what's going to happen on next episode? All right. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Emma captures the Snow Queen and interrogates her at the sheriff's station. Regina and Robin Hood's relationship grows increasingly complex, and Emma has big feelings about her past. And Henry begins his after-school job in Gold's shop while trying to help Regina find the identity of the author of the storybook. Meanwhile, in Arendelle of the Past, we learn about the origin of the Snow Queen. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is, okay, we get it. Stop gaslighting Belle. Just, just stop. Stop. Visit us at Spotify for Podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch if you enjoy once upon a rewatch please leave us a review on apple podcasts or on your platform of choice talk fairy tales with us on instagram at once upon rewatch on tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com the artwork for our podcast was by lychee riru we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music kevin mcleod our intro music is frost waltz and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Oh, are you guys going to cosplay Maid Marian and Robin Hood? Mm-hmm. <gasps> My mom is being the sheriff. It was oh. her idea. Oh, how sweet! Because she she wanted to do a night of Oogie Boogie with us, and she was like, what costumes are we going to do? And I was like, um, I don't know. You can pick, Mom. <laughs> and she was like, Robin Hood, I really want to be the sheriff. And I was like, let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would be Prince John in a heartbeat. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> and I bet, I bet like you could sweet talk Ariana into being his. <laughs> <laughs>